gang. Ho, ho, ho. I'm on the scene again. Keep things under control here. I have a tendency to loosen up around the edges if you don't watch them careful there. So uh, if you will please here, bring it up large there. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, oh, by the way, tonight's program, uh, we're giving you this disclaimer and this warning uh, does not necessarily represent the views of the management nor of the performer, nor indeed of the world at large. As a matter of fact, uh, the following program may have some deleterious effects, which uh, we thought we should warn you beforehand. There's a little skull and crossbones at the bottom there. Uh, <laughs> it would be great if they if they had to do to TV and radio shows what they have to do to medicine bottles, you know, the, the skull and crossbones. This could be habit-forming. Uh, watch your dosage, you know, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, would you please uh, uh, give me a little drum roll in there, Herb, please? Hold it there, hold it there. Uh, for those of you who are fans of kitsch, and, uh, and anybody who goes to Disneyland is obviously a kitsch kugel, uh, for those of you who are <laughs> for the, those of you who are fans of slob art, we would like to salute one of the new great uh, a great giant step forward to use the the use the uh, Marxist uh, uh, Chinese uh, phrase a giant step forward in slob art, please. Now the best seat in the house becomes an entertainment center. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can now buy a combination uh, bathroom. Tissue holder and radio. Yes, there it is. It is, it is. It's a little thing there that you can hook up. Uh, you can put your John paper right in there. It just fits right in, see? And it's a transistor radio. And we read the copy here. It says, whether you get your inspiration from Soul Sinatra or Sonata, this new, <laughs> I like that, Sonata, this new all-transistor, fine-fidelity bathroom radio and tissue holder. Yeah, this new beautiful fixture puts music to think by right at your side. This high-quality compact device fits in a little more space and is now occupied by a tissue roll all along. With a flick of the finger, you can bring in music, news, stock market quotations, and music to... That was censored by... Bring it up, Says comes in several plastic, beautiful, non-fading colors... I think I'll play a little horn for that one. Yeah, come on, let's sing it, man. That's right. No doubt that's special, and I just want to hear it.
asking, boy. You really have rhythm, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Egg making this into a farce here. We don't need no more farces. We've got plenty of them in life. So I say, oh, uh, incidentally, this, uh, hey, you got an echo chamber. Cut it off there. It's uh, feeding back on me here. Uh, we have a note here. Way down at the bottom, it says uh, in this uh, magnificent radio with the attached uh, tissue holder, as they say so delicately, it says at the bottom that you must be satisfied or double your money back or something. It says you must be satisfied. <laughs> And uh, I kind of like that. Uh, you can get all different colors, too. And, uh, you know, that's just all part. Incidentally, speaking of the slob art, as we've talked recently, one of the great slob arts of all time, of course, is magic. And uh, how many of you are interested in the devil? Anybody? No, anybody out there interested in the devil? I don't mean the devil fans. You know, we're beginning to slip back into Satan worship, which which was a big deal around the time of the Renaissance. And uh, we're beginning to slip back into them days. You don't mind the language I use. That's all part of the attempt to communicate with the vast Slavus Americanus. Jerseyus. Jerseyanus version. Route 23, particularly. Now, uh, however, I would like to say, though, that there's been a lot of devil stuff popping up. And for those of you who do not get a chance to regularly read the American Medical Journal, J-A-M-A, Journal of the American Medical Association. I would like to read something from uh, the October 11th, 1971 issue in the letters. And that's where the real stuff... Hey, you know, I wonder how many of you know that, that uh, one of the most popular areas of almost every magazine today is the letters to the editor, the most read. That's true. Uh, in fact, in, uh, in the, I, I saw some figures on it in Playboy, for example, that the letters to the editor get a higher readership than almost any other thing in the mag. So I guess, uh, I, I don't know what that says. <laughs> I don't know. I, I suspect one day they'll finally just bring out a magazine that has nothing else in it. It's called Letters to the Editor. And the editor will just print, print them all. You know, there's a 5,000 letters. On that letter that came to you from Jay Clagstrunk in Mississippi, once again, shows. And uh, I, that might be a popular magazine, actually, The Voice of the People. But uh, here is a letter to the JAMA for you devil fans out there. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's from very official places, too. It's from signed by one, two, three, four, five MDs who uh, studied the case, apparently. And uh, here's the way it starts. A 49-year-old farmer, this is in South Carolina, complained of having been bitten either by an alligator or... The devil. Got old devils everywhere. Come on, let's sing it. That's enough. Now, now, this is exactly what the... the now, remember, this is the J-A-M-A. This is not Lampoon. Uh, this is an official magazine. They don't mess around in that magazine. And they're not known for their rip-roaring humor in the J-A-M-A. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little thing about the medical... Uh, the lack of humor in many medical publications about, oh, seven or eight years ago, I knew this doctor who had, uh, he was putting out a book on a very specialized subject, and it was a very official book. It wasn't for popular consumption, you know, like all, everything you want to know about toenails but was afraid to ask type stuff. And uh, he he compiled this book of uh, 
special cases and one thing or another. He was a specialist. And uh, he happened to have a sense of humor, which is not very good for specialists. You, to be a really dedicated specialist, one doesn't have much humor. And so he went to a New Yorker cartoonist, famous cartoonist, uh, to illustrate his uh, medical textbook. Well, he just thought it would be kind of funny, that's all. His book was still great, you know. So he did it. And what a mistake it was. <laughs> he was attacked. <laughs> his book was not... <laughs> they blasted it. Why, for heaven's sakes, you would have think that he was out there writing bad words on the, you know, on the on the John Walls over at Bellevue. But uh, nevertheless, uh, he just discovered you don't do that. But so this... Well, I'm just telling you this to let you know that the medical journals are very serious. And I read this... I'm going to read it exactly the way it was written. Uh, a 49-year-old farmer complained of having been bitten either by the devil or an alligator. From numerous versions of the event, the following facts are given credence. One hour before appearing in the emergency room, the farmer was returning home on foot from a prayer meeting in a rural island area of South Carolina. He was walking on a path which led through a swamp. Suddenly, to the accompaniment of hissing and scuffling on the muddy bank of the path, the patient felt his right thigh locked in the jaw of some large creature. The patient was able to extricate his leg. And this is where we, this is really symbolic. Listen, the patient was able to extricate his leg from the apparent alligator or some other beast or creature by beating it about the head with the family Bible. The bridement, cleansing of the wound, and open drainage resulted in a successful outcome. Psychological trauma was offset by the patient's recent attendance at the prayer meeting and a shot or two of spiritus frumenti. Frumenti. You know what spiritus frumenti is? Booze. <laughs> en route to the emergency room. <laughs> comment. Now, this is the comment that these doctors say here. That if you, any of you are going to be bitten either by the devil or the alligator, you're going to want to know this. Comment. Lack of information about bites of alligators prompted a field trip out to the swamp by the undersigned and a bacteriological study. An intrepid group journeyed to a nearby wildlife exhibit to sample the mouths of one small, four-foot, and one large, parentheses, 12-foot alligator. Members of the group holding lesser academic rank encouraged to capture and hold open the mouths of the two alligators, while the more experienced members obtained bacterial cultures. The alligators were housed in an enclosed swamp, which duplicated their natural habitat. The aerobic and anaerobic cultures from these two alligators and from typical swamp water yielded similar clostridium species, Antrocaci, cocky, Antrocaci, is that right? Citrobacter and others. Omission of antibiotics, in this case, accompanied the announcement by the patient's relatives that the alligator was being brought to the emergency room. They brought the alligator. You know, they finally caught him, the one that bit this guy. But actually, the guy never held to that. He believed that actually the alligator was the devil who had taken... The, you know, the devil can take any form he wants. I mean, so uh, this is just hearsay uh, that this was a real alligator, actually. So we don't know, you know. Who knows? It's a... Uh, it, it, from review of the medical literature, there appears to be no reason to believe that this type of trauma is either increasing or decreasing <laughs> alligator bites 
are not increasing or decreasing, nor are bites from the devil. It says, we do not know of a report of a man biting an alligator. This has not yet come to the JAMA's attention. Like Goldsmith's dog, it was, it died. The alligator. The ultimate lethal effect was upon the biter, not the bitten. And so the alligator finally died, and of course this only made the guy, it says, it's, uh, later there's an addendum that says this only made the farmer believe him more firmly that it was the devil, that the devil had taken another form, possibly his wife. So, uh, <laughs> however, I just thought you ought to know that there's a lot going on out there with the devil. They're laying it on you in every direction. Alligator bites. Now, I don't know whether you've ever seen an alligator, a real live alligator. Let me tell you, friend, that, that, uh, that if you think you're going to have a pet alligator, you better, you better start wearing steel mittens. That's all i got to say. Oh, man. Uh, they, like, even a little one. You know, even a tiny alligator that's about... Uh, maybe 10 inches or 12 inches long will give you one hell of a bite. Oh, man, I'll tell you. In fact, uh, <laughs> there was this... Do you remember here a few years ago when there was this whole thing about sending alligators, little baby alligators you can buy them for pets? Did you ever hear about that? In fact, they still sell them in some places of Florida, although I think it's illegal or something now, but the people used to buy these little alligators. Well, there was a kid named Dick Humbert in our school when I was a kid, and uh, we were in about fourth grade, and he brought his alligator to school. He had gotten an alligator. One of his relatives went down to Florida, and they sent back this pet alligator. Speaking of uh, the devil, this is WOR New York, friends, and we got big, sharp teeth. Yes, sir. <laughs> Did you know that your Chrysler and Plymouth dealers in this area are America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealer group? First in Chrysler <laughs> yeah, Plymouth yeah, yeah. sales across the land. You've made us number one. And maybe it's because well, this we never stop believing that what voice. you want is a darn good car yeah. with a good dealer behind it. Yeah. That's what we offer. Cars not only beautiful, but built to last. The kind of cars America wants. We follow them up with service because we want to do more for you. And our deals are our way of saying thanks. Because we never forget, you're number one with us. America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Act now while the price freeze is still on. Yeah, hey, I just got a note here from uh, an angry listener. It says, Shepard, why don't you get back on a stick? Why don't you talk about fascism and censorship the way you used to talk about in the good old days when you did a good show? Did I ever do that? Ever sit around and talk about fascism and censorship? <laughs> My God, let's... <laughs> Was I ever that dull? <laughs> I'm sorry, you know. You know, one of the, one of the things I've, I, I think about today's world is, 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 is hardly anybody, anybody, you, you go from one end of the dial to the other, and there's, I'm talking about radio, television, you name it, almost everybody is incredibly serious about life. I mean, they really are. And if you're, if you're not equal, it's actually not serious. That's the sad thing. It's not serious. It's pompous is what most people are. And uh, more than that, uh, if, if I don't mind a good shot of pomposity occasionally. It's kind of good for the hackles. But uh, nevertheless, it's not really pompous. It's pious. Yeah, there's a great, 
there's a great uh, undercurrent of piety that's running through our world. Now, pious is not the same as reverence, so don't don't say, well, what's the matter with piety? <laughs> now, piety, uh, piety bears the same, piousness bears the same relationship to reverence as the flagship out on Route 22 bears to art. You know? I suppose if you look at it one way, I suppose it could be a great, a great example of, a, a massive example of kitsch art. But uh, kitsch art's never been art. You know, you know, kitsch is a, is a great study. I, I've been reading a lot about kitsch lately, and the, and the, you see it everywhere. You know, you know what kitsch is? That's a, uh, that's a sugar and cream set that's made in the shape of a bas relief of Paul Newman, and uh, the the cream pours out of the top of his head. You know, you've seen those. It's great. Or praying hands that you use as a as a combination transistor radio, so you can hear cousin Brucey. And a night light. See, it lights in a in a, in a reverent light. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Kitsch or Rooney, uh, kitsch kitsch. Uh, that's a great word. But uh, kitsch is all part of the piety land, the world. Uh, you know, the uh, a, a true example of kitsch is to get yourself an LP of the of uh, the fifty basic themes of all the great symphonies. Just the hummable parts. You know, bum 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 bum. That's all you want to hear. See. Or yeah, da 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 da. That's enough. Uh, that's uh, that's kitsch. Uh, of course, we're we're living in a sea of kitsch. It's uh, it's overwhelming us these days. You can hardly turn on the radio, you know, or, or or television without somebody showing up. Say, do you remember those wonderful days of the fifties? Do you remember Fats Domino? Who can forget this fantastic bomb by the bomb? On comes uh, Bill Haley in the cop. That's kitsch. Hey, you know one of my favorite commercials today is the one that uh, comes up you know that uh, sort of looks like it's vaguely out of focus and it's supposed to be that way see it's kind of filmy and misty and you see this drugstore and here's a guy you can see right through him he says i'm teen angel and that's the booth over there with me and betty lou used to sit and drink colas we used to think that colas was the best thing but the, we could have ordered seven up in them days but we, we never thought like that. You probably remember what happened to me in my short. You know, I'm Teen Angel. Do you remember that? That's a great commercial. If you remember the song, I wonder how many people don't know the song that they're referring to. You know, Teen Angel, remember what happened to him? <laughs> it is short. And then, now, that's, now that's borderline kitsch, but at the same time, it has a great sense of humor, that, that, that particular commercial. And you, and you see him striding off down the street, you know, with his DA haircut, and he's... He's got his leather jacket, and he's fixing the hair in the back there. I'm Teen Angel. Yeah, me and Penny Loon used to sit over there in that booth over there, drinking colas. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Of course, I'm a sucker for a lot of things, so that's no... Uh... Speaking of uh, suckers, uh, I'm going to be at Princeton. Uh, we're going to quickly get this out of the way. I'm not going to burden you with it, but uh, this is to prevent the overwhelming letter writing. We're going to be at Princeton, the big Princeton show this year. It's November 6th in Alexander Hall. That's a Saturday night, and all seats are reserved this year to prevent riots and fistfights out in front. So if you'd like to order your ticket to the thing at Princeton, which is a benefit, by the way, for WPRB, the Princeton radio station, just uh, make your check out, $3 of check or money order, $3 for every seat, uh, to a, and also include a stamp self-addressed envelope, and make the check out to WPRB. That's all. Just write WPRB. Don't put my name in it. WPRB. And uh, their number there, their address is WPRB, Box 342, 
Princeton, New Jersey, and the zip is 08540. That's WPRB, Box 342, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. And the, the, the tickets are on sale in person if you want to pick them up in Princeton at the Princeton University Store, University Place, Princeton, New Jersey. No tickets at the door, unless a few people might have had uh, traumas in their family or something, you know, and they have to send their tickets back. And uh, speaking of uh, coming events, upcoming type events, we're going to have a big book signing Friday, October 29th. That's uh, Halloween Eve. Halloween Eve. Friday, October 29th from 3 to 7 p.m., Gee, that's four hours. 3 to 7 p.m., Brentano's in the Village, 8th Street and University Place. And I guess that's a Friday, right? We'll be there writing down stuff in Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories. That's Brentano's, 8th Street and University Place, the 29th, 3 to 7. Okay. Hey, you know, uh, talking about uh, talking about the devil and, uh, and various uh, ramifications pertaining thereto, uh, also, uh, various myths and illusions relating thereto. The, uh, the 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 Jersey Devil is making a great comeback. Do you know that last week, as recent as last week, there was a panic in Jersey, in the in the Piney area. You know where the what they call the Piney Barrens of Jersey. That that old devil made a made an appearance again. Uh, yeah, did you hear about it? There's a guy driving along through one of those roads that go right through the Piney Barrens, and he's just booming along there all of a sudden. Uh, he, he sees a light up ahead of him, and he figured it was a car, see? And uh, he slows up, and uh, he saw suddenly it was not a car. It seemed to be something glowing in the road. And uh, he saw a few sparks and stuff, like flames. He could figure, what the heck is going on? And without any warning... He sees this thing moving rapidly towards the woods, and it was giant. It was, he said it was tremendous. So the thing looked like it was about 19 feet tall or something. Tremendous thing. He said he couldn't really see how high it was, but it, it looked from the way the lights and the shadows and all that, he said the thing looked like it was about two stories high. And he said there were flames and stuff, and off into the woods it went. Guy says, he, you know, he almost flipped. So he stepped on the gas. I said, yeah, did you hear about the story? He stepped on the gas, and he drove out of them piney barrens trailing smoke himself. And he says he came back. He finally got to a gas station, told them what was going on there. And uh, the guy, you know, the guy turns ashen. says, my God, the Jersey Devil, again. He's out there in the woods. He struck again. So if you didn't hear about it, keep your eyes open. The Jersey Devil is on the prowl. You mean you never heard of the Jersey Devil? Oh, that's a big thing. First observed, uh, the Jersey Devil, the first recorded example of the Jersey Devil being seen was sometime in the late 19th century. Actually, not very late. It was, uh, it was right after the Civil War. The Jersey Devil was seen, and the, the, the descriptions of the Jersey Devil have consistently remained the same. And he, he snorts flame. And, uh, you know, all the rest of it. And, yeah, I mean, a real, this is a real top-flight devil. I mean, this is not one of them little sneaking-around ones that hide and, you know, pretend they're alligators. This is a real big devil. And the Jersey Devil has consistently been seen in the same area. And, uh, in fact, uh, the first house where the Jersey Devil was attacked and kept people in it all night, you, the original story is, is hair-raising, really that these people were living out. How many times have you ever been out living uh, 
or staying overnight in a cabin someplace. And uh, and you, you have this feeling that something is out there, this, this terrible feeling that something is out in the woods out there. You ever done this? You ever had that feeling? I don't think a man alive, there is a person who's ever lived who has not had the feeling that there's something in the dark. And we always vaguely, all the time, all of our lives, we always vaguely expect something totally inexplicable to happen. Do you agree with this or not? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I, I, one, of the, one of the things that, I, uh, that happened to me once in my life, and I'm not going to invent one single thing about this, I'm going to simply tell you what it was, what happened to me one time, and it happened just about this time of the year. As a matter of fact, it was in late, yes, it was late fall. And uh, I had just gotten out of the Army, and it was late fall. It was cold, and uh, I was uh, about to go back to school. And I had, uh, you know, I had saved some money to go to school, so I figured before I went to school, which I was going to start in the February term, uh, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go out. I'm, I always had, had this urge all the time I was in the Army. I was in the Army three years, and I kept... I kept uh, always wanting to do one thing, and that is to go fishing, to be up in the woods. This, uh, this really, really always pulled on me all the time. So I figured, well, I'm going to go to school, and I had a job, and I'd been saving some money, and, and uh, I, was, I knew that I couldn't get much chance to go any time after that. So I took off, and I went. I had an MG, and I drove from northern Indiana straight on up into Michigan until I got way up in the upper part of Michigan. Now, not the upper peninsula, which is on the other side of the lake, but way up in the thumb, what they call a thumb, way up in the upper part of Michigan, see. So it was cold. Oh, wow. It was, it was, uh, it was just up there. Cold comes early. And uh, down around Indiana and places like that, it was still like, you know, like now, it's still down around the 50s and 60s every couple of days. But it was almost, I could feel it dropping, the temperature, almost mile by mile as I drove. You ever driven north and felt it do that? Well, of course, in an MG, you really feel the cold anyway. You know, this a little cloth top on the thing and, and uh, wide open, had these cut-down doors. It happened to be a TD, in case any of you are curious what kind it was. And, and uh, the further north I drove, the colder it got, and so all by, all by myself. And so I, I wound up uh, way up, uh, in the in the upper part of Michigan, wearing this sheepskin lined leather jacket that I had, and uh, driving with mittens, had a big corduroy hunting hat with uh, with these earmuffs, and I had a GI shirt on underneath it, a regular army shirt which I still had, and I had a, I was wearing army pants, and I had these high uh, army type uh, jump boots, and so I'm driving along through the cold up there. I got up in the lake country, beautiful country up there. There's Reedy wild country, and I remember uh, one one of the things that uh, that I remember about it. I never in my life saw as many deer. It was fantastic. You just you just had to be very careful driving along the roads because deer by the hundreds were just sailing over the roads just by. And I would drive, especially at twilight. I would drive along, and I could see the deer grazing. There'd be like uh, herds of maybe two or three hundred of them. Yeah, I never saw anything like it before. 
And then they take off. As soon as I would drive along, you'd see all these, these white tails going in the twilight like flags off into the woods. And so I drove through a little town, a little tiny town, off the main highway there, and I, it was a kind of a half-paved, half-gravel road that was the main road. And I never saw anything like the deer in that town, right in the town. Yeah, it was twilight, and there were three deer went went scooting right across the road and right through this uh, front yard of this house and up the driveway and around the back. And there were deer just everywhere, just like rabbits. Well, I pulled into a into a general store there, it was like a little uh, IGA store or something, and they had uh, uh, they had ammunition and stuff, as most of those places up there do, because there's a lot of deer hunting and stuff. And I pulled in there and I and I asked the guy behind the counter. I says, is any place around here, a good lake around here where I can uh, fish for some northerns? The northern pike season was still open, and I can fish for some northerns, and uh, I can rent a cabin. He said, yeah. He said, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. He said, listen, uh, let me, I'll make a call. So he goes in the back, and he makes a telephone call, and he says, tell you what you do. He says, you go down the house, right down past the shell station. He says, the White House on the right. And he says, there's a guy in there named Clarence. He says, you go up and knock on the door and, and tell him I called. He says, you know who you are now because I just called him. He's got a cabin over here on this lake. And uh, I'm sure he'd uh, be glad to rent it to you. He says, no, it's all closed up. Uh, it's a great little cabin. So I said, okay. So I drove down the street, my little MG, and uh, the, the deer were everywhere. It was, it was quiet to twilight, and all the trees were kind of dark gold and brown and beautiful, but very cold. So I, I pulled into this guy's driveway, a little gravel driveway in this, this house, and I go up on the front step, and it was a, a real Victorian-type wooden house. And I knock on the door, and swing hanging there, and the wind blowing through the chain on the swing. And there's Clarence standing in the doorway, and he's wearing a jacket. And he says, you the guy who wants to rent that uh, cabin? I said, yeah. He said, come on in. So I go through the house, and there was a musty smell in the house. You know how these old farmhouses are. It was kind of like a farmhouse. It wasn't really a farmhouse, but it was like a farmhouse. So I would go through the, through the living room and the dining room. There was this big dining room table with a lace tablecloth and wax fruit on it and all that stuff. And I get back in the kitchen, and it's all lit up and warm in the kitchen. The only warm place I found in Michigan was that guy's kitchen. So I go in the kitchen, and he says, you care for a drink? And I said, don't mind if I do. I was cold. So he, he pours this, this bourbon and uh, we both sat at the table. He says, how long do you want the cabin? I said, oh, a couple weeks. He said, boy, I said, uh, you know, this it's uh, awful cold out there. He said, uh, uh, I've only got a uh, it's only got a wood stove in this thing. He said, it's liable to be cold. He says, you know, that it, uh, any night uh, it's liable to drop down to 20 degrees, maybe 15, maybe even down to zero. You never know at this time of year. He said, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send along some wood up there if you're going to take it. And I said, sure. And he said, uh, it'll be, I'll... It'll be uh, $20 a week. So I said, sure. So uh, I whipped out the $20 a week, and I gave him 40 bucks. And he said, now, I'll tell you how to get there. He said, now, you drive straight on out. He says, this is the same road you're on now, right? And I said, yep. He says, you drive right out the highway there. He says, state road number 422, right? You drive right out 422. He says, now, you get past the place where it's paved. It'll start being gravel there. He says, they're going to grade it next year. They're going to put through paved road there next year, but... Right now, it's gravel. Now, you drive out on the gravel part. Now, you drive about four miles. He says, now, you will pass a windmill. There's an old windmill on your right, regular old windmill there. He says, I don't know where the blades are still on, but you can't miss it. It's a tower sticking up out of the woods there. 
You pass a windmill right past that. He said, there's a gravel road. Turn off on that gravel road, and you just keep going right down, and you'll come to the camp. He said, you'll come to the camp. He says, it's, it's, a, it's a log and shingle camp. He says, right down the right camp, miss, right on the shore of the lake. And he said, you can use my rowboat down there. And he said, the, uh, this time of year, he said, the, uh, the rainbows, he says, ain't, ain't no rainbow this time of year. He says, but, but let me tell you, you're going to get plenty of northerns if you go down the south end of the lake. So down the northerns move down south in the lake because the warm water comes in from the creek down there. They like to, like to feed there. He says, so you go down there. And he says, by the way, you got tackle. I said, I do. He says, well, you know the northerns around here, they hit a bucktail and a red and white spoon. He says, so if you get yourself a good spoon, bucktail, go down there. He said, you'll do all right. He said, but just, just make sure. He said, because if you see it's going to snow, he said, if it starts to snow, he said, you better get out of there. He said, because that place is closed up and nobody gets in down there till spring. So I said, okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, real exciting, right? So uh, I, 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 I had all my gear all packed up on the luggage rack on the back of the MG. I had, uh, I had a couple of, yeah, I had sleeping bag, and I had, uh, I had some canned goods that I picked up along the way, and, and uh, my fishing tackle, and I had a twenty two and, and all the stuff I needed. So I drove out on 422. He gave me the key to this thing. And he says, and you'll find right under, he says, I got the, uh, there's a little front porch hangs out in front there. He says, the rowboat is under the front porch. He says, and under the rowboat, you'll find the oars. He says, now, we don't allow no motorboats on that lake, so you're going to have to do rowing. You like to row? I said, sure. So I drove out 422. It's getting dark now. Almost, almost night. And sure enough, about four or five miles out on that gravel road, I came across this this uh, tower standing off to my right. I see it there in the woods there. And now the woods up there in Michigan at that point are evergreen, mostly. There is some hardwood, and the, and the hardwoods had already changed. They weren't yellow anymore. They were just brown, all standing up there, big, tall, tremendous trees, and a lot of evergreens. And it was chill. I could see those, see those deer skittering across the road ahead of me. And I had on my, my lows... Uh, lights. I had the low headlights on. So I turned right on this gravel road, and it was covered with leaves. The leaves had drifted down, and it was like I was driving through snow drifts. And as I drove down this, this long, winding, uh, brown-covered, uh, leaf-covered road. It, was, it wasn't really a road. Just a just two, two tracks is what it was, see. And so I wound down through this. Nothing but these forests on either side of it, see. <laughs> and I'm getting, I'm getting this curious feeling, see, by this time. I've because uh, this is a little more than I really asked for. Well, I, I drove down, and, and I never realized it was so far, because the way he pointed out, he just, just, just drive down the road, he said, and you'll come to the lake. Well, what he didn't say is it's about three miles down that little track. And I'm, I'm winding in and out, and I felt myself gradually going down, you see, because uh, uh, this it was the high ground. I was going down towards the lake, so I knew I was getting near a lake. And all the while, it's getting colder and darker, and every once in a while, across that path ahead of me, there would be some animal would go skittering across. Because at that time of the year, up in that part of Michigan, uh, almost everything is on the move, including deer and bear. There's a lot of bear up there and uh, all kinds of animals. And I'd see something dark just move across that path up there. I couldn't quite make out what it was uh, because it was just at the other end of the headlights. With just a headlight beam, I'd see something dark go across fast from one side of this gravel road to the other well finally 
just just about the time it was the light was almost gone down below me i drove down and now it's thinned out because uh, i was going straight down and there were a few trees a lot of leaves and stuff and there was the lake and she's just laying there it looked like steel black silver steel and if you've ever seen a northern lake uh, just about the time that winter is setting in boy that's a sight you'll never forget it's a it has a curious uh, gunmetal qu- color to it. it. It isn't blue. It's a gunmetal color. And uh, little tiny riffles all over the top of it. And there was just a slight breeze. And there down below me, I could see a fantastic sight. I, I, it's a sight I've never forgotten, really, because if, you, if you're interested in nature and ecology, man, uh, oh, uh, there must have been at least 200 great Canadian geese that had landed there, and they were they were migrating, and this great flock had landed on the lake, and they were down there, just just right below me, on the, right near the shore, just coasting, all facing one direction. They they head into the wind when they're resting, just like a weather vane. These are tremendous geese. You ever seen a Canadian goose with this great neck, this great uh, sort of a white flashing around the eyes, and that that great looking marking they've got, and a huge and they. This enormous flock of geese was just sitting down there on that lake, and there wasn't a single other person on that lake. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just just those geese, my MG, those little riffles, and that gunmetal water. Boy, did it look cold and wild. Well, I could see a couple of cabins off to my right and off to my left, and they were all shut up and all boarded down for the winter. Well, I turned, his, his was the first right off of this road, so I turned right down to my left and down a little driveway, and there it was sitting there among, among this tremendous stand of pine trees. And it was a little cabin, uh, about a two, maybe two-and-a-half-room cabin, all boarded up. I mean, she was locked up. And on the back, the back door was this big Yale lock, a big hasp across it and Yale lock, and that's the key, see? So I, I go up there, and I turn my headlights. By now, it's really dark, see? So I, I turn the headlights. I, I turn the, the car so that I can look at the door, and I go up, and I open this thing up, and I pull the lock out, and I swing the door back, and it is black. And I've got this, this uh, in, in the car, I had one of these big Sears Roebuck-type flashlights, you know, the kind with a handle, so I go back, and I get the thing out, and I come in, and I shine the light around, and here was the furniture all standing in this black place. And it was ice cold. Oh, man, was it ice cold. And off to the left was this wood-burning stove. So the first thing I did, I, I went out to the car. I brought some papers. I had a couple of newspapers that I had on the, on the back seat behind the seat of the car. And I grabbed this newspaper, and I come in, and I roll it all up, and I put it in the stove. And, uh, and right next to the door, by the way, there was a big pile of birch logs that he had for fire. So I, I lit this paper and you could see all the orange light flickering in this place. It's a wild scene. No electricity, by the way, in this place. So I, I, I lit the paper, and I stuck a couple of the logs in there trying to get this thing going. There's a tremendous draw, and this had this big black stovepipe going up, and I can hear the wind go, we're just sucking it up, man. The sparks were flying up, and uh, it started to get light in there from this thing because I kept the top open of this stove so you could see the light. And over by the side, and he had told me this, he says, over by the door... He had a couple of kerosene lamps that he had emptied, and under the porch out in the back was the kerosene. So I put kerosene in the lamps, I lit it, and now it's, it's getting warm. 
Well, that night I I, uh, I climbed into the sack he had, which had big, uh, big thick feather beds. You ever slept on feather beds? Big thick feather beds with Indian kind of blankets. And I slept in this place. And the first night was great. I mean, I, was, I didn't know what happened. I just went to sleep instantly. I've been driving like 800 miles an MG man, and I was really hurting. So uh, <laughs> I fell asleep almost immediately. And, and the next morning, I woke up, and it was a faint light filtering through. So that whole day, I went out, and I, I rode around the lake in this guy's rowboat. Uh, and I was trolling for northerns, and I caught two big northerns that morning. And uh, that afternoon, I came back, and I got some more wood, and I was, I was just settling in. Well, that night, I got the fire going. Everything's cool. I saw a lot of deer. I went to bed. I fell asleep. The next thing I know, I wake up, and it's absolutely dark. Not a light. And I, I, and I had slept. I, I had the feeling I had been sleeping a long time. You know that feeling. I felt great. I, I wasn't uh, waking up in the middle of the night. I just was like I had slept myself out. I woke up, and it's black. I look at my watch, and it says 10.30. I said, what the hell, 10.30? Well, I went to bed at, 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 at about quarter to 11. It can't. What the hell's going on here? You know, it says 10.30. It's black out. Well, I go out on the front porch of the cabin, and it is night. Dead, solid, absolute dead night. I see nothing. It's 10.30. I listen to my watch. Well, I had, a, I had a transistor radio, a little radio, and I turn the radio on. Nobody's saying anything. There's a guy, and I, I can't believe it. I can hear 10.30. The guy is saying on the radio, I was listening to W... What was it? In the WJR, I believe, in, in Detroit. He says that in a couple of hours, the Detroit Lions are going to take on the Chicago Bears. And it's absolutely black night. I can't... I, I think, what the hell's happening here? You know what I first thought? I first thought that somebody had dropped an atom bomb somewhere or something. It was nighttime. And my watch says, and my mind says, and my body says it's 10.30 in the morning. Well, I put everything back in the car. I locked that cabin. And I drove back to town in that pitch blackness. I dropped the key off at this guy's house, put it in the mailbox. He wasn't home, and I drove out on the road. I figured I'd better get out of this place. And I am driving about three hours, and I begin to see a faint light off, off near the eastern horizon. And I'm listening to the radio all along. And it wasn't until about 2 o'clock that afternoon that I discovered that just north of me, there had occurred a great forest fire. And the entire sky had been blotted out by smoke. So much so that no sun got through at all. It was night there. Man, that was the first time in my life that I began to believe that there was a devil. And the devil had finally done it to me. I don't even know whether I could find that light now. I don't know whether I want to. Some reason or other, I was so glad to get out of there. So glad to get out of there.